Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everybody and welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm here, Kev's here, but I'm not even going to let him say hello because I'm excited to announce that Vito is here for the first time this year, Vito. And I'm not sure when we last spoke, but I'm very happy to speak to you again. Welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Connor. I'm good. I also want to wish all of our uh, listeners a happy new year as well. Hopefully, 22 is a uh... A great year for everyone, and we can return to some sort of normality. That would be lovely, especially after such a tough two years. But, Vito, um, this yes. is normality. This is normality now. <laughs> I love, I love well, that Vito. See. I love that Vito does that. That very, very polite and perfectly Vito entrance on yeah. the weekend when we're going to have the last. We've got the last weekend yeah. of Syria stadiums with full, with sort of fifty percent capacity because we're going down to five thousand next week. Yeah, so, I, I don't think I that's love the optimism, Vito. Love the optimism. Um, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna ride Vito's wave of optimism because I don't think that measure is going to last too long. Um, it will last probably a month, but we'll be back to 50, 75 before the end of the season, I'm sure. Kev, you don't need to be introduced. I, I kind of did it. You've said hello. Do you want to just say a, a formal hello to the listeners before we crack on with this? Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. It is very nice to be here because I'll be honest with you guys. Today's Serie A action got a bit much for me. I, I was sitting here alone in my apartment trying to keep up with it all. and. During Roma Juve, I kind of just gave up trying to keep up with it anymore. But I was watching it, just forgetting about what the score was, who was on the pitch, and everything else. Because what a day of Serie A football we have had. Now, Kev, you and I previewed this round of games just yesterday because we wanted to give ourselves more time and not do it on Friday. But what happened was we gave ourselves more time and we didn't give ourselves enough time for the announcement that all of the games weren't being played today. So with that in mind, just eight of the 10 games have been played. There are still two games left to play. Torino hosts Fiorentina tomorrow, which is one of the games that Kev spoke so excitedly about on the preview pod over on patreon.com slash Forza Italian football. And then on Tuesday night, a game that nobody wants to watch in Cagliari Bologna. But the eight games to have taken place produced, I believe, 32 goals. And they were as follows. Milan went away to Venezia and won 3-0 before Sassuolo thumped Empoli 5-1 in a result that I, I don't think anybody quite saw coming. Atalanta beat Udinese 6-2 in a really weird and mysterious game that we'll get into. Napoli let everybody down, scoring just once, and Sampdoria didn't score at all. Andrea Patania, the only goal there as the Partenope beat the Blue Cecchiati. Roma were 3-1 up, but lost 4-3 to Juventus, who finished the game with 10 men. Spezia beat Genoa. Salernitana won. 
They beat Verona 2-1 at the Ventigodi and Inter beat Lazio 2-1 to retake top spot at the end of the day. Now, we usually start at the top, but we cannot do that this week because the game of the weekend came in Rome and it could well be the game of the season. But before we talk about it, just a gentle reminder to the listeners to head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football, where you can support this podcast and the website and all of us from as little as two euro a month. We'll get into some of the content we've been producing over there a little bit later. But for now, Roma 3, Juve 4. Kev, we need to hold our hands up here because we expected this to be dour. We expected this to be a low-scoring affair. We expected it to be cagey. It was the exact opposite. Um, I'm not sure if we said low-scoring. We said it would be close. I, I, I definitely did. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it would be close. I, I expected a a uh, response from Roma after losing midweek. So I did say that there wasn't a lot between the two sides and it could swing very much back in Juventus's favour to edge it. So I, I kind of am clinging to the fact that they've won by a single goal, but um, certainly the amount of action and the way the game's gone from a Mourinho side uh, throwing away a 3-1 lead on the, I think they were still ahead on the 69th minute. Um, and, you know, just purely from Basilio scoring the winner, uh, it makes it a crazy game. Um, so, yeah, probably not what we were expecting, but result-wise, not far off the mark. Just the overall performances of the sides, I think, was was uh, not what anybody was... Do you know, I don't actually trust you, so I am going to go back and listen to the preview I'm sure you are. first 10 minutes before I publish this, because I might be able to take some audio from that and, and insert it right about here, yeah, if you probably. did say something that you're pretending that you didn't say. But Vito, Kev's playing intelligent at the moment, but, but can you join me on, on this side of things in admitting that this was the most unpredictable scoreline of, of the year? Put it this way, if I had to put a bet, I would have put money on a nil-nil draw because mm. of the two coaches that are there. Allegri and Mourinho, along with Diego Simeone, are probably two of the most pragmatic coaches that have emerged in the last 20 years. So you'd think this would have been a very dour game on paper, but instead you know, they produced a contender for not just game of the round, but a contender for game of the season. And uh, it was an incredible come back from Juve on their part, and then Roma, they still could have snatched the draw themselves. So, yeah, just really one for the neutral and uh, certainly one that would have been uh, enjoyable for the neutrals. Well, before this, Kev, how many times do you think Juve had scored three or more goals this season? Uh, I'm going to say, it's probably zero, but I've got a feeling I'm mistaking them for somebody else who beat Salernitana 4-0 because I think Juve only beat them 2-0. But let's say let's say once before this game. No, it's actually far more than I expected. They scored three against Malmo, three against Spezia, three against Sampdoria, sorry Vito, four against Zenit. And yeah, I think that's it. Those few occasions. But more recently, since that loss against Chelsea, when Chelsea put four past them, they hadn't scored more than two goals in any of those games and they hadn't conceded more than one. 
So I, I just didn't see this as being something that could possibly happen. But when they were 3-1 down, Vito, it just it felt like Roma at home, when the atmosphere there at the Olimpico is behind that team, it's it's one of the best in Serie A. And you just couldn't see a way that Juve were going to get back even one goal, never mind getting on terms and never mind getting ahead again. But then as soon as Locatelli got that, not leveler, as soon as he reduced the deficit to 3-2, everything changed. And within seven minutes, Juve were ahead. Sometimes uh, these moments, they tend to defy logic or you really question how this would have came about from a tactical point of view or anything like that. It just seemed that uh, just that one goal from Locatelli gave them just the littlest bit of confidence and it just simply galvanised them. And to turn that around, to score three goals in the space of about seven or eight minutes, uh, I think it's quite staggering. It also shows that, you know, if you over want, if they have that desire and that belief, uh, they can still achieve something despite having their share of flaws within the squad. So um, on any given day, if you've got the right attitude and you can utilise your skills in the best way possible, then sometimes the most uh, illogical of things or just the most unexpected of uh, circumstances can occur. For example, Mattia De Cilio popping up with a winner um, in the game's Wonderful. seventh goal. Incredible. He's one of those players that I knew he had gone back there, but every time I see him, I think, oh yeah, you've gone back there, haven't you? Um, it's incredible. Incredible. And we've got to mention as well that Roma were given a penalty after Juve had gone ahead for a handball from De Ligt, who then got sent off. And it was one of the worst penalties you'll see this season from Lorenzo Pellegrini just after he'd popped a, a free kick into the top corner. Kev, you're nodding your head. You look angry. You look a little bit offended that Pellegrini dared to take such a poor spot kick. Yeah, you, you think at that sort of time of the game, you just want to put his foot through it. Oh, here we go. Was, Here's the granddad. Well, no, you just think, you know, it, it just it was lacking a bit of, uh, I don't know, confidence is the right word. But it was lacking something, and then you think he he absolutely scuffs the rebound as well. It's yeah, like, it was bad. As if it couldn't be sort of more on him, if you like, that they didn't sort of walk away even with a point. Just going back to your Decilio thing, you know, mention about forgetting he's there. I kind of do very much a sim- similar thing. Mm. But for anybody out there listening who plays sort of fantasy league football, whether that's Serie A or even Australia where Vito is, he always feels like that person you buy when you've got limited budget, you need one more <laughs> you need one more defender to sit on a bench. So just anybody will take him. It's like Juventus Juventus probably a couple of years ago went, Oh, we've got a twenty three man squad we need to fill out. We've got a twenty second place. Our budget only allows us to get mm. somebody of this standing. Oh Decilio is available from Milan, we'll take him, that'll do. Sorry. But you know what? I think you're onto something there because the real he is the the real life equivalent of that, and it's not because of budget requirements; it's because of the fulfilling the homegrown yeah status, right? And that's literally the reason he's there because they need to have a certain number of Italians. So 
you do get the the instances of clubs having these players. I mean, Atalanta have Francesco Rossi, the third choice goalkeeper, who's just been there. And I remember a couple of years ago, he came off the bench. He always gets a substitute appearance at the end of the season. Um, and he came off the bench for Golini a couple of years back. And Golini himself was starting as the backup goalkeeper to Barisha at this time. And when Golini went off, Golini's running off the pitch just in fits of laughter. Like, look at this. Look who we're bringing on. And what I really liked about Atalanta's not postponed game against Torino last week was that Gasparini named Rossi as the starting goalkeeper. <laughs> I just Because what if Torino had just magically shown up? He would have had to play, but I, I thought it was brilliant. Um, there's, there's a piece of work that I want to do here, but I do want to do it and I don't want to do it because of the hours it was going to involve. But I'd like to see Serie A winners by the least amount of minutes played. He's, I know in England we've got this thing where you have to play a minimum of five games now. But you could get five games and play like seven minutes of, you know, of mm. the leagues this season. And I wonder, out of out of Serie A champions, how many have played the least minutes in that season? Maybe somebody's done it already. I don't. Well, know. I'll tell you what, Kev, you can do it. Work on it oh. over some time. There's no no deadline. End of the season. Nice summer article to go out in the absence of an international tournament, despite it being a World Cup year. But yeah, we know what's happening there. Uh, so there you go. You can get it published over the summer, right? But you, um, you want to get onto fashion, don't you? Do which I? I? Which, which I'd, I'd, well, yeah, a certain, a certain, <laughs> a certain, a certain Portuguese tacticians. Yes, I mean, yes. Yeah, where, whereas I would much rather look at minutes of Scudetto winners than um, Mourinho's fashion. But you're the turtleneck wearing uh, aristocrat of Italy now. <laughs> <laughs> aristocrat isn't the right word um, no it's not the right word because at all seen, because i've seen the size of your flat so i don't know Hip, hipster the, the irish, irish i'm not a, i'm not a hipster okay. i'm not a hipster um the only wannabe i uh, yeah there you go i'll have that i'll have that handsome man rocks a turtleneck better than most of us do um we've got to talk about Mourinho's Mourinho's gear don't we because he's Let's be honest, I saw him at the San Siro the other night and I thought, geez, you know what? Mourinho's, Mourinho looks good in that long grey coat. And then he, he mixed up what he was wearing as trousers and beneath the coat this time. But I thought, again, geez, he's really pulling off that grey. I think it's hard to judge when Mourinho looks good in a lot of what he wears. It's true, isn't it? He, he's still uh, a handsome man. I'm, I'm personally not a fan of a grey you know, a grey coat, also those sort of mustardy sort of similar mm. sort of style jackets that he's wearing. But yeah, I think I think maybe you've just got a bit of a extended loving with Mourinho and it's just how good he looks in everything. And uh, maybe <laughs> that you, you know. You just but I think a... this kind of grabbed my attention because it's different. I don't think we've seen this grey long coat being worn in he Serie A before. A hoodie with it as well, though. He was, and he had his little Roma snood. So he was, he was mixing it all up. He had a bit of sportswear, a bit of leisure, casual wear, and then the, the elegance of the long grey coat. Vito, I might be wrong on this, but I think you liked my tweet about this. So I think you're, again, taking the right side of things and supporting Mourinho's fashion choices. Yeah, well, put it this way. Even if his uh, football tactics aren't necessarily the most fashionable, <laughs> even at his age, you know, he'll be 59 this year. 
but he still dresses very well for a man of his age, and he likes to keep up appearances, so that's something. But just to go off on a bit of a tangent, like um, we haven't already. Even more so. Um, surprisingly, in my YouTube recommendations, once in a while, I get this interview of Mourinho from about 1987 or 1988, and you get a whole bunch of comments of people saying he was a good-looking man back then, and they were making George Michael comparisons. Mm. So there you go. <laughs> I oh. thought that was amusing. Did you ever see him when he won the Champions League the first time? Before uh, he... oh, four. Yeah, I mean, He's still a dapper-looking man. Very probably the most handsome man in football, aside from David Beckham <laughs> at that time. Like, incredible, incredible. I, I prefer his Barcelona years. Do you? No, nah, I don't like the hair. Then he looks to be like he's dragged off the street. <laughs> the the hair is a bit. It, it's too much. Then. You know, I, I think he he hit his, his best days when he was a, a manager himself and he's grown into his appearance as well. And I'm I'm very much a supporter of all of his fashion choices. But, you know, he's just got that coat as a gift, hasn't he? I know his daughter is into, I think, jewellery or maybe it's fashion generally. She's got him that coat for Christmas and he's like, yeah, this is all right. So he's going to wear it every day now until the, the weather starts picking up. But I think, I know Kev, go. Last, so, is this, last word. so is this the equivalent of like your nan or something getting you a horrific jump? No, 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 because it's not oh, horrific. Fine. It's lovely. Okay. Well, getting you something that you would not usually wear, maybe. No. And every time she comes round, you've got to wear it. But every, because he's <laughs> he's in front of the TV cameras, he knows that his daughter's going to watch him on TV. So now he's got to wear this coat, whether he likes it, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent. I think it's yeah. more like if you get if you get a good pair of boxers or socks for Christmas and they're just lovely and you love wearing them. So whenever they're out of the wash, they're straight on. You know, they're they're straight on. They're the first things you wear as soon as they come around in that cycle. I think it's like this with that coat. If he has the chance to wear it, he's wearing it because it's a lovely coat. Um, we're finished talking about this now. We're I'm moving like, on. I'm just glad to hear the underwear is the first thing you do put on. And there's no there's no confusion over Connor wandering around Italy without any underwear under his trousers. Do you ever meet him, listeners? No, absolutely not. Particularly not after you left me a spare pair as well when you left. So I'm, I'm well stocked. Um, Inter went back on top of the Serie A table after Milan had temporarily leapfrogged them. Inter welcomed Lazio to the, to the Miazza and they won 2-1 veto. Impressive victory from the champions. It was, and I probably felt that maybe Inter probably should have won by a bit more. I wasn't overly impressed with Lazio's display, and uh, I think collectively Inter were fantastic. But for me, my man of the match would be Alessandro Bastoni. It was a lovely strike to uh, give Inter the lead, and then um, he supplied the cross for Skriniar to get the winner. So I think... Although he plays as a defender, and he's a good defender, but I think his strengths lie in his attacking qualities. And just the confidence he has to get the ball out from the back and contribute to his team's attacking movements. Uh, he's becoming a superb player to watch. And yeah, he's one. He's another player from this Inter squad I enjoy watching. He just keeps growing year on year, month on month, week on week, doesn't he? And I think he's gone to 
he went to new levels with Conte and he's gone even further under Simone Inzaghi so far. Alessandro Bai was at the, the Miata for us for this and he also gave his man of the match to Bastoni. And in his player ratings piece, he wrote that Bastoni's forward ventures are becoming a bit of a staple to this inter team, which which they very much are. But so too are screen yards. I mean, there was a moment I can't remember if it was leading up to any of the goals. I don't think it was where Skriniar had the ball about twenty yards from goal and did like a Cruyff turn and got cleaned out of it. I think it was by Zakanyi, and they got a free kick. And I just thought this was after Bastoni had scored from the edge of the box, and then Bastoni whipped in a cross with his left foot, which was again what what a cross he put in for for Skriniar's header. And just the Inter's defenders are forwards that they're, they're like Atalanta they, they just they don't really bother with it they'll leave one plotter at the back and then everyone else just goes forward it's lovely to see but I've not given him a mention for quite a while on this podcast so I do feel it's only right to give credit where it's due to the reason that Alessandro Bastoni scored that goal from the edge of the box Kev can you remember in in recent Serie A history, uh, a defender who was brilliant, who scored a memorable goal from outside the box and had a good shot on him, um, particularly from free kicks. Recent Serie A history, I'm, uh, I bumped into him in a park one time. He's Portuguese, so I naturally love him a bit. He scored against Milan. He scored against Chievo. He played alongside Alessandro Bastoni. He made Bastoni into the defender he now is. Oh, yeah, oh, it's cool. It's our friend uh, Alves. It's Bruno. <laughs> Bruno. Yeah. That is obviously the reason that Bastoni has developed into this cultured centre-back with a beautiful left foot. Bruno's was his right, but Bastoni, you know, he was trying That's to... That's what threw me for a what? Because I was thinking left foot. Because ah, I, was, okay. I was picturing that story from Bastoni and I instantly went to left footed defenders. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Kev, look, we, we all remember your performances in the game last year. We, we know that's not what threw <laughs> you. You're just not very good at remembering the names of footballers, are you? <laughs> or generally having a clue what's going on at any given moment. <laughs> generally remembering anything. <laughs> um, do, we, do we need to talk about Inter all that much? I mean, we do it kind of every week. They're just impressive, professional. They just keep winning. There was no scraps between Luis Felipe and uh, Joaquin Correa this time, which Kevin and I kind of thought might happen. But Vito, you were a bit critical of Lazio. You weren't very impressed with them. No, I didn't think they were able to put enough pressure on uh, on Inter. And I thought for Maurizio Sarri team, they seem to be defending a bit deeper than usual. So I wasn't sure if that was something to do with Sarri's setup or because Inter's game plan, you know, from the Conte era and now under Simone Inzaghi, it's so well ingrained, they're just so well tuned that um, Lazio couldn't break through and possess more of a threat on the counter-attack. We've got to give some credit if we're not going to give much to Lazio. Oh, Kev, sorry. No, I was just going to ask Vito whether he thought that was born out of the last few defensive displays from Lazio because I tipped them to actually lose by three goals this uh, this evening. And I only got in for the, um, the start of the second half, but it was very clear that Lazio were defending very, very deep. 
and I wondered whether the first half had followed a similar pattern. And it was very kind of against what we usually see from Sari's side, but almost where they'd gone, look, we're shipping so many goals into good blowers away. And maybe it sort of stifled them a little tonight because they were sort of focusing on those two defensive lines. Uh, I think that's a possible theory. I mean, when you consider, you look at the Lazio defenders on paper, um, aside from Acerbi, the rest of them aren't particularly impressive at all. And it's def- and that's just putting it politely. I can see you laughing, Connor. And yeah, uh, next, and you too, Kev. So yeah, they definitely need to reinforce the defence. So yeah, I suppose Sari has to find a way to atone for the deficiencies of those individuals. You're right. Look, can we give credit to Chiro Mobile at least because he scored again and his record is is quite impressive, isn't it? I'm looking for the statistics. So he's become the third player to score at least 15 goals in each of the last six competitions in the European Big Five leagues behind, well, I mean, obviously, Mohamed Salah and Robert Lewandowski. So that's an incredible record from Immobile again. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, I think it was Patrick Kendrick, there are some people who still doubt Chiro, which is astonishing. Atalanta went away to Udine. Although for quite a long time, nobody knew who exactly was there because Atalanta nor Udinese released their squad lists for this game. Don't really know why. I mean, I understand that they've been reluctant to name the players who are positive for COVID, but people, as soon as they see who's there, can work out who was positive, but then they can't actually say that because then maybe they were injured. So... It's a little bit of a difficult one. But Atalanta went away to Udinese with a, a few absentees, namely Duvan Zapata, Rema Freuler and Davide Zappacosta were, were missing. Make of that what you will. Udinese were able to field a decent first 11, but then after that, they didn't have any players. And Atalanta won 6-2. Kev, this is just Atalanta doing what we know they can do. Yeah, absolutely. They just kind of blew them away, didn't they? And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Zapata being out and uh, Muriel managed to kind of step in and do what he probably hasn't done in, in recent weeks. There was a um, couple of weeks ago talk that he might be looking to get away. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a little mini audition. Uh, to go back to Udine. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, maybe to go back to Udine. Who, no, nobody goes back once they've got out, do they? After that uh, reception as well, I don't think they'll be going back. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's a hard one to judge. Um, Udinese looked... Well, they always look out of sorts because you never know which Udinese is going to turn up. But uh, yeah, Atalanta needed... Atalanta probably knew that they wanted to get that gap again away from Juventus, even with Juventus playing Roma at the Olympico. Um, and they did exactly what was needed of them, really, after disruption to... To, to the start of the year through uh, missing games. Speaking of players whose presence in a certain location surprises you, if I were to have asked you yesterday where Daniele Padelli was, would you have been able to answer me, honestly? Uh, no, I probably would have said... Um... Oh, what's the... Well, Torino, he was out for a little mm. while, but I probably wouldn't have said Ud- Udinese. 
no. I, was, I would have probably, I would have really been surprised that he was still playing. Yeah, uh, that, that I thought he had retired. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I'm sure Vito knew, so I'm not even going to ask him because he's just across these things as he tends to be, which is annoying. Uh, too professional, but th- there was an odd thing with him and and Luis Muriel early on because from kickoff, Muriel was getting abuse from the home fans, just general abuse of an ex-player nothing more serious than that from from what we could make out but he then went and scored a really nice goal it has to be said and did the celebration that he always does and the Udinese fans got a bit cranky about it and Padelli lost his mind saying that it was like disrespectful or, or something and I just thought what I, I, am I alone in not being able to work this one out or Padelli just throwing a strop for no reason. It's probably because Padelli's so out of touch with football because of so little action. He probably doesn't <laughs> even realise Muriel does that celebration. He, he hasn't seen many strikers in the last few years <laughs> yeah. against him or for other teams. So maybe that's just that's just what it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Joachim Mele scored, which I think is quite a big boost for Atalanta Vito because he. He scores so many goals for Denmark and he has quite a lot of chances for Atalanta but has never been able to score. Robin Gossens scores a lot from that position. Mele has now got one. Do you expect this to be something of a an, an opening of the floodgates for him? Uh, look, I hope so, but I'm not sure as yet. But I do admit, you know, when, when Mele plays for Denmark, he's a totally different player. I thought he was one of the best players at the Euros last mm. year. And uh, he hasn't really produced that same form with Ladea. So I think if he can start doing that, it's going to be a big plus for Gasparini and the rest of the team. And uh, also, I think they'll be you know, missing Gozens a bit less if Mailer can ship him with the goals because Gozens' goals... They have been missing. And just his general output, the way Gosens plays on that left flank, his speed, his control, the way he links up with his teammates, especially when Atalanta create those overloads on the left, he makes such a difference there. So if um, Gosens comes back, I think he'd be great. But if Mayla can do his bit on that position and Mayla can play on the right too, I think, uh, I think it's just uh, better for Atalanta all around. Absolutely agreed. Well, since Giampiero Gasparini joined Atalanta in 2016, Ladea have scored six or more goals away from home more than any other side in Serie A. That was the fourth time that they managed to do it, which they've scored a lot of goals in the last few years, so that didn't come as too much of a surprise. Um, Venezia, Milan, the Rossoneri won 3-0 to temporarily go top, Kev, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Scored against another club. They're now the the 80th team that he has scored against in in Europe's top five leagues, which is a a very nice record. A very nice record indeed. I think it's Cristiano Ronaldo is the only person who has done it against as many. But I mean, they've played in a fair few of the leagues, haven't they? So that's that's kind of how that works, really. But, oh, you look like you want to jump in on that before I even give you the bait. No, well, I was just going to say, you know, if you if you're playing across that many leagues and scoring as often as they do against so many minnows, um, Venezia minnows. 
well, uh, okay, newly promoted sides, um, <laughs> because they're often the games where some some players historically have been left out, uh, and you know, but I'd argue Zlatan and Cristiano are uh, probably players that demand to play every game to get their numbers up, because they love looking at those numbers, and they'll Mr. Ibrahimovic will love chalking off that 80th club side that he scored against, but. Uh, just saying now, Cristiano Ronaldo only hit 80 on the 30th of December against Burnley. I didn't realise it was that recent, which they're kind of neck and neck there. I don't know who who's left for either of them to score against that they can play against this season. Maybe one of them will get 81. I'm sure it'll become a thing if one of them does. More so if, if the Portuguese one does than the other. But you didn't let me give you the bait, Kev. Because I know how you feel about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, so I was just kind of warming you up for the main dish, which oh, was Mr. Hernandez. Teo Hernandez has scored his third brace in Serie A, also doing so against Parma and Torino since he joined Milan in 2019-20. He is the defender with the most braces in the big five European leagues. Meteorite, oh. say Opta. Against those stellar names of Torino. Three braces. <laughs> yeah. oh, he was captain know. today as well. What a what a what a player. Yeah, it's a real shame his second goal wasn't a penalty. Otherwise, he might be a. Why well, wasn't a penalty? Player, player of the week. No, I mean that it was only a penalty. So oh, okay. uh, I, I feel like uh, he doesn't. It doesn't quite warrant player of the week contention. No, he shouldn't be player of the week. Um, well, no, I was talking about contention. He wasn't going to get it anyway because it's Tiago Hernandez. <laughs> oh no! Here we go. And, <laughs> and I get called. I get the abuse because I allow you to do this. Yeah. I don't have a say, listeners. He does it himself. Yeah, that's fine. Though you've got a bigger social media presence. You I've got can... to say though, I do find Tiago Hernandez to be one of the most dislikable footballers of my lifetime. <laughs> I know that's not going to help me. He's nice when he's on the ball, but he's insufferable. No, it's 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 like a, a marketing department trying to sell you something that you really don't want, and it feels like Theo Hernandez is constantly trying to market himself as the best left back in the world, which he very much isn't, and you very much don't want him to be because of the marketing, which you know, which is. There you go. I've said it now. <laughs> Wait for the pelters to come in. I, you know, generally the game I thought just seemed a bit um, underwhelming. Mm. Was, you know, I only watched highlights. So apologies if it, if it was more exciting than the, uh, no, the highlights package made it look. And they, you know, just got the job done. They needed to. They just need to keep applying pressure on Inter. Well, Venezia didn't show up for the first five minutes of either half and conceded in both. So they were two 0 down, and it was game over. Really. I think you've cursed them by going to that game where they stormed into a lead and then lost 4-3 from 3-0 up. Since then, they've not started games well. So that's what's happened. But we've got to give a little bit of credit again to someone else. And this time, Vito, it's Stefano Pioli because he coached his 400th game in Serie A against Venezia, become the eighth coach to do so. Since the the three points for a win thing was introduced, and he's not doing too badly there. No, I think he's experiencing some stability in his time there at Milan, which was uh, rare previously. He had been hopping through club to club, 
Nobody is. Parma, Chievo, Lazio, Inter, and there are probably a few others. Fiorentina and probably a few others I'm leaving out. But uh, uh, at uh, AC Milan, he's managed to mould the team into the football he wants them to play. They seem to buy into the messages he's telling them. So uh, credit to him to finding the right place for him so far. Empoli Sassuolo. Oh, Kev, you, you stop trying to speak at the wrong moment. <laughs> what do you want? Sorry, you, you've just been throwing a lot of sort of numbers out at us today. And I'm starting to wonder whether you're managing the Syria English Twitter channel and you're trolling yourself well, for some of their content. Well, so, Kevin, I don't know if that was a deliberate setup. I don't think it was, but if it was, it was brilliant. Because have you seen that my years of abuse of that social media manager, I'm not going to say it's working, but he's learning or she's learning, whoever it is, they are learning. Have you seen this? No, no but what, what I've noticed, so... I watch a program which is, is Syria produced called Inside Syria, mm. you know, usually before the weekend's game. And they've started putting very strange graphics and then statements on some of the plays. I think, you know, this week I remember it's not like 58% more goal involvements. Yeah. And it's like, then what? <laughs> and what's a goal involvement? <laughs> That's like, a, that is a term now. It means under, goal or assist. It was like but... under Ivan Juric, Kirina. I've had 58% more goal involvement. Mm. I'm like, but explain what you're doing. And I'm thinking, oh, they've gone, they've just gone nuts with numbers, which with all your, um, with your Zlatan piece and your Pioli piece there, it just sort of popped into my... I'm just reading off of Opta Paolo. Paolo? Yeah, it is. It's Opta Paolo's email to us. Um, So on the 31st of December, at Serie A underscore EN, kind of, uh, put up a, a tweet saying 19 match days hard fought hard fought is not hyphenated and of course that is an adjective which in english goes before a noun but in italian goes after a noun so there's proof it's an italian person doing it so i quote tweeted that and said 19 hard fought hyphenated match days on the 1st of january then then kevin on the 6th of january they tweeted a hard-fought, hyphenated match. 1-1 at the final whistle. They are seeing my tweets. They are reacting to what I'm saying. Now, here's the question. Do I invoice them? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think you've got enough yes. evidence. <laughs> what you mean? Vito wants the money. Vito just says, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Take the money and run. <laughs> how, how have Don't I not run. got enough evidence? Go through my timeline over the last six months, Kev. <laughs> There's your evidence. Um, I think they're they're listening. But I, I get what you mean. Because their their Twitter account just makes up words as well. I'm sure I'm sure listeners saw dangerousity. Um, <laughs> which... Mind you. It's not a anybody, word. Anybody who follows me would probably think I'm making up words. <laughs> yeah, but you're not managing the, Twiddle, the official Twitter account of one of the biggest sporting leagues in the world, are you, Vito? Yeah, just to go on another tangent, um, 
back to you know, you know, we've already talked about Udinese Atalanta, but speaking about all this stuff, you know, early on in the season, I was talking about how boring Udinese were, and now you get the odd game, but they actually put up a show or they allow <laughs> the game to be exciting. So something's got to be happening. We got to open our mouths or type on our computers or smartphones, and then suddenly things change. It's mm. uh, so, so Vito's anti-Udinese agenda is resulting in them conceding six goals that you've heard of. To be I think <sighs> the, we, we get abused or accused of being anti-Milan, which we're absolutely not. We are anti Udinese. I think I've been on that train for a long, long time. Vito hopped on a couple of years ago. And Kev, this season, you finally got on board as well. So we will accept that. And we're also anti at Serie A underscore EN because, I mean, the people are incompetent to run it. But anyway, let's move on. Empoli beat Sassuolo. No, they didn't. Empoli lost 5-1 to Sassuolo. And, and Sassuolo scored five times. In an away Serie A match, Kev, this stat is just for you for the first time ever, which is quite a nice one. Scamacca and Raspadori scoring twice each and Berardi getting the other. But there's only one Italian striker that I'm interested in speaking about right now. And he wasn't playing in that game because he was slaying Sampdoria, unfortunately, Vito. Big Andrea Patania, the return of the X. He scored the only goal as Napoli beat your lot 1-0 at the Maradona. There's no stopping Patania. <laughs> he has a thing about scoring against the Genoa <laughs> clubs this season. He scored the winner against uh, Genoa and got the only goal against Sump. So, yeah, yeah, maybe it's something about that place. Things didn't sit too well when he was there in 2013. So, yeah, when I realised that he was the scorer, I just thought, well, you know, just... It's been nearly nine years since he had that six-month loan with us. So, yeah, time changes. But, wow, I mean, it's like – it was like his message of saying, see, this is what I could have done. Mm. Nine years too late, but he <laughs> sent a message. I, I like I like that Vito, just to soften the blow of losing, though, had a little dig at Genoa first, that Patania scored <laughs> the winner against them. You know, he couldn't, couldn't just talk about the Samp. He had, to, he had to have a little dig at Genoa, even with them losing this weekend as well. Good on, good on you. Got to nail those Sampdoria colours <laughs> to the mask. <laughs> Our biases are nothing if not consistent on this FIF pod. And Vito's hatred for Genoa is the strongest of all of those, I think. Even stronger than my agenda against the Serie A English Twitter account owner. Um, so I'm proud of you, Vito. Keep it up. But it must hurt because there, there was a time early in this season when it looked like Patani was going to go to Samp. Yeah, there was some talk about that. And um, you probably would have thought at that time, Patani going back to Samp would have been more realistic than uh, Chichu Caputo coming to mm. Samp. But yeah, here we are. Yeah, I remember that because it was on the... Napoli played Genoa away when the window was still open. Mm. And there were talks that Patani was going to to have a chat with Ferrero. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Let's set about him the better. Uh, with Ferrero while he was in Genoa. It never happened. And Patania scored the winner at, at Marassi, which was quite nice. So, so it wasn't going to be a conversation with Ferrero behind a glass screen, a phone in his hand, <laughs> just phoning for Patania's hand. 
I couldn't possibly comment on that. Vito, I'll let you lift your spirits and you can talk about how Genoa rubs because they, they lost 1-0 at home to Spezia. Yeah, and Spezia should have won by more. It was a lovely goal from Simone Bastoni and he's seemingly playing in a more advanced role this season. I think Thiago Motz is playing him more in the midfield, but uh, yeah, they had a few other chances, the Aquilotti, to kill off the game, and especially in the second half, was one moment Daniele Verdi shot off some nice skills, but then that left foot shot, he just blasted it right over the crossbar. So, yeah, another dig in the heels at Genoa. They're still in the relegation zone, but uh, Spets, yeah, at least for now, they're giving themselves a bit of a cushion to try and stay up. They are, and Spezia's song is a banger, so we're going to go out on that this week because any excuse I have to listen to that, I'll, I'll bash it on. It's it's very enjoyable to listen to. Um, what else was there? Verona lost 2-1 at home to Salernitana, and I looked at this for quite a long time before realising which way the numbers were. Kev, Salernitana went away to Verona, where the Jello Blue had beaten Juventus, Lazio, Roma this season, and they they won? Yeah, because it, it was played the same time as Inter Lazio. I haven't had a chance to see anything other than the, the first half strike, which was from the penalty spot. It, it looked well, somewhat lucky, clumsy, because the defender wasn't watching the player coming in behind him. So as he tried to play the ball away, the, the, the attacker just puts his sort of leg across and gets um, brought down in the area and they, they tuck that away. But you would you would expect, given the performances of Verona at home this year, that they would have been able to kind of drag that back against the, the side that is rooted to the bottom of the table. But on a positive note for Salernitana, it kind of brings them a little bit back into challenging for survival, although it looks somewhat unrealistic that they will, but they're only a point behind Genoa now and two behind Cagliari. And they've got a couple of games in hand on Genoa. Yeah, but games in hand at the bottom don't mean anything. It's just a no, chance but... to make your goal difference worse, which in Italy doesn't mean anything either. But it might, might, might give their fans a little bit of comfort that they're going to be relegated in April as opposed <laughs> to sort of end of February. I don't know. Do they have a chance? Uh, no, because the sides directly above the relegation spots at the moment, Venezia and Spezia, and as you mentioned on the preview, Samson aren't out of trouble. I see them getting, they, yeah, they've got enough that they'll pick up enough points because the performances of warrant, you know, the performances this year suggest that they will have another couple of those performances that will get them three, six, nine points. Um, you just don't see it from Calorie General Salernitana. Mm. Fair enough. We've got the Supercoppa Italiana on Wednesday evening. Inter play Sassuolo, so... No, they don't. Why did I say Sassuolo there? I just can't get Sassuolo out of my head, guys. Even when I'm not thinking about them, they're just in there. I've, I've got a problem. Inter play Juventus, obviously, in the Supercoppa Italiana. So, for patrons, we will return with a podcast on that. Before that, though, there are those two aforementioned Serie A games between Torino Fiorentina and Cagliari Bologna, which are being played on on Monday at five o'clock and Tuesday at quarter to nine Italian times. Those, I don't think we've anything else to say, really, do we? Vito, 
you have your piece published over on patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. It is available for the two euro patrons because it went out in the first week of the month. So can you tell the, the listeners and potential readers what that was about and direct them to where they can find it? Okay, so without giving too much away, it's a match from the 1989-90 Serie A season, part of what I consider to be the golden age of the Italian league, and it was a match between Napoli and Fiorentina. Uh, Napoli had the legendary Diego Maradona in their side, but surprisingly, he did not start that game. And uh, in that game, for Fiorentina, was... uh, Roberto Baggio, and without giving too much of the score away, um, he had a fantastic individual performance. So it was really, at that time, was really something that was outstanding and helping him build up his reputation before the 1990 World Cup. So, um, yeah, a classic game from a magical and powerful time for Italian football. So, Vito, you, you, you mentioned that the 1989... 90 season was in your opinion a, a very good time i wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that sampdoria <laughs> they won the coppa italia that year they were runners up in the super coppa what else happened to them that year they were runners they up won, in the, won the, the cup winners european cup. cup european cup winners cup against Anderlecht that year there the only go. time they've won a european trophy but yeah the italians did a clean sweep in europe that year so Milan with the old European Cup, Juventus with the UEFA Cup. So, yeah, unique, clean sweep at that time. It was a good time. It was a good time. I would recommend that the listeners head over to Patreon and and check out Vito's article. It was a good one. Look, any match that involves both Diego Maradona and Roberto Baggio is going to be worth reading about, right? So, patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football for that. Vito, thank you very much. It was good to have you back on the pod. Kev P., as if there's any other Kev, yeah. Yeah, why did that happen? Why are you always Kev P on our spreadsheets? Uh, no idea. Because I, I was organising a spreadsheet once and, and wrote Kev, and then you messaged me saying, is that me <laughs> or is there another one? <laughs> I thought, what? Probably because I didn't want to do whatever you'd assigned me, and I was hoping there was another Kev. <laughs> you had got... <laughs> But you've always been Kev P, oddly. Um, But anyway, there you go. Listeners, we will be back next weekend. But head to Patreon where we will have a Supercoppa Italiana podcast. We'll have a Serie A preview podcast. And we'll have the newsletter returning this week as well. If not, fine. You're lost. We'll speak to you next Sunday night. Goodbye. Non siete soli, stiamo aspettando nel cielo che la qui lavori. Questa curva, questa festa popolare, senti il grido che ti spinge avanti, che ti fa volare. Questo è un nido di rapaci, questa è spezia, che ne dici? Qui si sente ancora solo quello delle nostre voci e si va, si va con i nostri colori dentro ad ogni città. Noi si va, si va, siamo uccelli predatori, siamo aquile, si sa.
Queste ali e questi artigli Era un covo di pirati e noi siamo i loro figli Guarda non ti puoi sbagliare Stiamo sotto le bandiere Che hanno un'aquila nel centro E sono bianche, sono nere Si va, si va I nostri colori dentro ad ogni città Noi si va, si va Siamo uccelli predatori Siamo aquile, si sa Non siete soli, stiamo aspettando nel cielo che l'acquila voi non siete soli, non siete soli, stiamo aspettando nel cielo che l'acquila voi non siete soli, non siete soli, non siete soli. 